Like a deer in the headlights or gum in your hair, what got you here will not get you there. Join us as business owners get unstuck in real time on the business building struggles we all share. Welcome to the Business Breakthrough Podcast. And here's your host, Esty Rand. Welcome to the Business Breakthrough Podcast, episode 63. I have a really fun guest today, Hani Arantrao. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. I am so excited. So guys, Hani is the founder and principal designer of Fine and Pink, an interior design company named after her amazingly chic nanas Isabella Fine and Shirley Pink. I love that. I love mm-hmm. that it's after the grandmas. Um, known for her fearless mix of colors and patterns, Hani has helped numerous clients adopt a more vibrant and personalized approach to design and passionate about helping other women entrepreneurs. Hani has her own podcast now called Boss Madel. Madel for the uninitiated is Yiddish for girl, for lady. What is it? Yeah, for girl. Lady, you got it. Where she explores the unique (laughs) narratives of working moms. So, Connie, where this is very, I I feel like telling the guys, like, are we going to have anything for them today? Should we tell them to go find another episode? Like, is this one just for the ladies? You know, I'm wondering that. It is a bit, I'm going to get a little touchy-feely, but I have to say, and I hope my husband doesn't kill me for saying this, he's an entrepreneur and, you know, runs a business and he has read Brene Brown and has done a lot of touchy-feely work and it has really helped him. So, hey. You never know. Okay. So guys, if you're up for touchy feely, stay tuned. You're in the right place. Otherwise go and like, listen to one of our like Facebook hack advertising ones. Um, and ladies, I think you're in for a treat today. So honey, I'm so excited. Yes. Yeah, same here. So tell me, you mentioned before we dive into your backstory, um, you mentioned that you're really passionate about helping people and dealing with the struggles women face in business. And you mentioned something specifically about, you know, everyone says women should lean in, you know, be strong, set those boundaries, know your worth. And why don't we? And you had such a good take on that. I'd love to just start there. Sure. So, you know, I run my own interior design business and I read a lot of business books, listen to a lot of podcasts. And a lot of people would constantly say, as women, why are we not strong enough? Why are we not confident enough? Why are we not standing in our own space? Men have no problem asking for a raise or a promotion. Why are women so cautious? Why are we so hard on ourselves? And we need to you know, be strong and we need to have confidence and we need to tell ourselves, I am enough. And that was all great. But if you don't go into the personal reasons why each woman struggles, then you don't really get a solution. So it's not enough to chant to ourselves, I am enough or I need to be stronger. We have to understand why, what's causing us to hold back from playing bigger. And um, for me personally, it was, I have a tendency to be a perfectionist and I have a tendency to people please. And so without working on those, I would never be able to get to a next level of my career. So learning to address those issues and really work through those especially in a business like interior design, where there will always be problems. You are dealing with contract So if you're going to expect perfection 100% of the time, you can't really function as an interior designer. And you can't have the confidence to build if you know there's a small issue. That is inevitable. So really, I had to learn how to work through that and be able to say, it's okay, I am enough, and this project is enough, and my 
client is happy enough and we can move forward as opposed to nitpicking and really stressing myself out. Okay. I hear that. I hear that, but to me, they're kind of two disparate things, right? Mm -hmm. So I love when people say they're perfectionists. Like that was always my go-to, like, what's your greatest fault in like a job entry? I'm like, oh, I'm just a perfectionist. And, and it's true, but it's one of those like, you know, fake compliment faults. Like there's like a list of them, you know, for your job yeah. interviews. Like th these are the accepted faults that you may have <laughs> because they're, they're like, you know, they're pluses and minuses. How does that connect to the inability to lean in though? Like, cause if I'm too perfect, then- If you, if you are afraid of failure, Ah, you know, okay. if you are Beautiful. terrified of making a mistake, you will play it so safe. You will take on the smaller job. You will be afraid to tell, in my case, was being afraid to tell a client, let's, let's go big. Let's try something different here. Or sure, I can help you with this larger project. So you play it so safe and, and you play it so small to avoid failure. Because, you know, if you're, and especially for me, I was a great student in school. So success was really easy for me. And that became my, my level of normal. You know, you get 90s, you get 100s, that's life. And so then to go into business where, yeah, sometimes there are small failures or mistakes or learning curves. And to be able to say, that's okay, let me lean into that so that I can grow, that's a much healthier you know, aspect of running a business. And again, this is just my personal experience, but I think if every woman looked at how they relate to their business and, and you know, what's their personal and emotional makeup, then they can try to find the reasons why they're not leaning in. So I think it's a very personal, you know, issue for each woman. Okay. I don't know. Again, I work primarily with male clients, honestly, <laughs> and I find that a lot of them have fears of failure too. <laughs> like I don't, I don't see this as an exclusively women's issue. I'll tell you what I find more with the women, okay. people pleasing. That I do see a lot more. The fear of failure, I kind of see pretty balanced across the board. And honestly, I'll, I'll be totally transparent, guys. <laughs> the few of you that are still listening, don't kill me. Um, I'm not going to mention any names. But I find that sometimes the men are more afraid of failure right? Because the expectation is so much higher. Um, failure, the consequences are so much more severe, right? The need to succeed professionally and out in the world. Even with all of the progress we've made, we still look in a certain stance, really across the board, that a woman who has zero success in her relationships is still a certain measure of failure. And a man who has zero success professionally is a certain measure of failure. Um, but we don't look at it the opposite way. Like a man who's not succeeding in relationships, we're like, oh, he's a man. And a woman who's not succeeding professionally, we're like, oh, she's a woman, which is obnoxious and wrong, but it's just what is, right? So right. the pressure I feel like on men is so much bigger, but what I see so much with my women clients is they just, every, they need everyone to be happy. Like my male clients are like, forget you. I don't care if you're happy. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't really care. But the women clients, no, but they'll be upset at me. But what if they don't like it? I'm like, I don't care if they don't like it. This might be work. I work more with men. Like, yes, yes. But I think women take it so personally. Like, oh, yes. This business. Yes. None of your business, what people think of you in your business. Yes. And if you are a creative and you are billing on an hourly you know, cycle, I can't tell you how easy it is for someone like me who is a people pleaser to say, you know, they weren't so happy. Let me take off an hour here. Let me take off an hour here. Uh, and I've listened to interior design podcasts where so many interior designers have done this, where they just don't feel comfortable enough saying, I'm going to bill for A, B, and C. 
because they're terrified that possibly the client will not be as happy. So I think sometimes perfectionism and people pleasing very often go hand in hand. Um, and I agree with you that it's prevalent among women, you know, very much so, and it's not really talked about. Yeah. No, I, I, I would, I would love to focus in there. Cause I think, and again, I've, I've seen it with men also, but here I really have seen it way heavier with my female clients where I, like, if you were my client, I would yell at you. I'd be like, yo, <laughs> you did the work. Again, you have a contract, you have a professional agreement. Um, there's always room for negotiation, but from a perspective sure. of negotiation, not like, Oh, you didn't like, like, okay, sweetie, I'll make a different dinner. Like, no. Okay. That's not how this works. So, okay. This I like, so let, we're going to come back to here. Mm -hmm. um, tell me a little bit more how you got into interior design. And again, you're so, I feel like you're so girly. Like everything is fine and pink. It's named after your grandmas. You're all into the women. It's so fascinating for me because I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm just very masculine. I'm like, I'm very not like, <sighs> like pink. <laughs> so, right. You know, like what's, what's really funny is that the first couple of projects I had were actually for bachelors, which is that, really funny. That is really funny. Okay. So <laughs> how, how did you start? How did this get started? Okay. So I started doing bachelor pads. Yeah. Yes. So I started uh, years ago in New York City um, after I went to seminary, which is like the, you know, kind of Jewish equivalent of private college. I moved to New York and I uh, enrolled in FIT. I wanted to study home product development at that time, but they didn't have a full program. And so I started taking courses in interior design. At the same time, I got a job in Seoul for a retail store that sold homewares, furniture, accessories, and linens. And I started off, you know, on the floor doing sales. And I then moved up to doing, being their display designer and then their buyer, assistant buyer, which was really fun and I loved it. And to this day, my passion really is sales uh, in home furnishings. And my dream one day would be to have my own shop. I just Ooh, love, I love the, it. Yes. I love the one-on-one -on -one conversations with the customers. I felt like we lost a lot of it today with the, you know, um, online shopping. And I think it's coming back a little bit. So that's something I'd love to do. But back to uh, New York, I really loved my job and my classes. And after I worked in the first store, I then went on to a linen showroom where I managed the showroom. We did very high-end custom linens, mostly coming from Italy. And I love that as well. It was a little more challenging, dealing with a lot of designers and high-end projects. And then I had to take a break because I got pregnant with my first child and my pregnancy was something else. <laughs> <laughs> I was sick as a dog. <laughs> See, for that, I think everyone can relate. You know, any, anyone yes. who's had any exposure either as being a woman with child or as being married to or related to in any way. So, so yeah, that, yeah. that definitely does happen. Yes. So after that, I really took off for, and then I had my second child. We moved to Miami for a year and then to Los Angeles. And so I kind of did the full-time mommy thing for a good couple years. And then I thought, excuse me for saying this, I'm going to lose my mind. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I'm impressed. I actually, I only ever tried it for three weeks and I was done. I've been working since I was a teenager. And when I left my CIO job, I was like, I'm done. I'm done trying to work. I'm balanced family. I had three little kids. I'm like, done, done, done. I am stopping to work. After two weeks, I had finished every single organizational project. I was losing it. And I started a business. Good for and you. And after three weeks, I made the choice that I will never not work again. Right. I was like, ha, I told you so. 
<laughs> now, I want to clarify by saying that I have friends who are fantastic as stay-at-home moms, but you really have to know yourself. You have to know yourself. And what you're capable of. Yeah. And, and I think that's so important you know, for everybody. And there's so much guilt for the ladies associated with going out to work. Like I know for myself, when I would drop my baby off at the babysitter, and again, I've already figured out now about 10 years ago that I have to work, I'll lose it. Mm -hmm. I would drop off one of my babies at the babysitter and I feel like it was the Holocaust every single time. Be like, I'm giving my baby away to the strangers and going on the train. Like that's, and that, oh, I like get yes. the chills now just thinking about it. But I think so many ladies who go to work, this tug of war and this guilt of, but I should be saying, mm -hmm. no, there's no shoulds anymore. Sorry. You should be true to yourself and be your best self. That's what you should do. Yes. I couldn't agree more. So I actually fell back into work because a friend as a favor asked me to help her design her home. At that time, she was working with a designer who didn't have time to finish some of the rooms. And the designer liked my work and offered me an internship. So what was funny was after running and managing a showroom on my own. I now was older, I was a mom of two kids, and I went back to two internships where I fetched coffee and folded fabrics for free. Oh, wow. And I did this because I was new to Los Angeles and new to the design scene. I'd been out of the business for a while, and I really wanted to learn the ropes. And I think this is really important because I was speaking to a, a high school student, and she was like, why would I do that for free? And I think in this generation of instant gratification, you know, there really is something to doing your time, whatever that may be, but really learning the industry, making connections, getting a mentor. It was humbling. I, I, I will say <laughs> it really was, but it really helped me. Totally. And you know what? I so relate. When I left my job and I dove back into marketing, I went to work in sponsorship sales, the mm -hmm. Mobile Marketing Association. I had been a CIO of a multinational. I, had, I was running the place, more or less. I, was, I had my own right. team. And here, I was just part of this giant, I don't know what, you know, just clocking my hours and, you know, supporting the, the sales staff and reaching out. At, but that's what you do. Because I had been out of the mainstream marketing scene for so long that, that you go back in at the bottom, guys. That's what you do. And yep. if you can swallow that pride, you gain so I gained so much from that job. I learned some of the top tools. I was able to be part of their conferences for free. I got to reach out to all these big companies. I had like this deep dive in. I had an education and made connections that I would have had to pay major money for. So I took a big pay cut. Right. But I didn't pay money. For everything that I gained. And, and I think it is so important. I think a lot of people miss that. And I think it's hard also, you know, um, after you've been in a higher professional position and then you have to step out, either you step out for any reason, right? Kids, some people mm -hmm. have to step out for illness, um, or you decide to switch industries, get sure. back in at the bottom. You'll, you'll go up quick. You've got the potential, but go back in at the bottom and you'll go up really fast. Yeah. Yeah. And I was really fortunate at that time because I was able to get childcare and work for free. So I, I, you know, I have to clarify that, but it was a tremendous uh, learning process for me. And after working for a couple of years, I opened my own company. Love it. And so now yeah. you do, wait, but I want to know about this first job at the bachelor pads. Cause you're the oh, girly girl. Okay. Make them pink frilly curtains. <laughs> like, what you well, do for them? So what I will say is I did try at least to buy a pretty vase for his uh, girlfriend at the time who would stay <laughs> over. Um, and she said, did you, and she asked her, her that 
and I, I don't know if they're still together. Did you buy that? Because that's really girly. And he said, no, my designer did. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, who else is hanging out in this house? She's like, I hope you didn't buy that because that's just weird. And that's I'm like, really listen, funny. I was just trying to give her a little sense of, you know, in detail in a very masculine bachelor pad. Uh, so that was really funny. And, you know, when I first started, I really took on anything that came my way. So any client, uh, the pay was really low and it was not glamorous. I was running around town, you know, um, and that's another thing I'd love to, to talk about is, is we are often told when you start out, you really have to, you know, work your way to the top, which is true and take on, you know, whatever you can. But what I wish someone would have told me is, yes, it's important to take as many projects as you can. And you obviously have to start from the bottom, but don't take a project that if, if something in your gut is telling you this is off, or I can't make this person happy, or I'm setting myself up for failure, don't go there. So an example would be, you know, a client who's worked with four other interior designers and was terribly unhappy with each one. Well, that's a warning flag that maybe you should not take that job. Oh my gosh. No. Okay. I have to tell you this. That is exactly mm -hmm. the symptoms that you want to look for. Okay. Here's what, this is best explained by, oh, what's his name? Daniel Kahneman and thinking fast and slow. So I read psychology okay. books for fun. I think they're marketing textbooks. And so <laughs> psychology book. And he tells the story of when he was in his PhD program, the professor mm -hmm. said to them, at some point in your career, you're going to come across a client and they're going to say, you know, Daniel, honey, Esty, like you are it. And no one else has been able to help me, but I, I loved your talk. I see your style and I totally see that you are the person. This other one was bad for this reason. That was bad. And that was bad. And that was bad. But you you are the person who's gonna save this and I'm so excited to work with you. He said, when that happens, run really fast in the other direction and don't look back because that is a psychopath. Oh yes. <laughs> and so oh, yes. I think that, that this point is so important for service business owners, and especially when you're starting out before you have experience. I, I always teach client filters, right? How to get your dream clients in. And there is a process and, and what's one person's dream is another person's nightmare, but there are some clients that I call terrorist clients that really no one should have to work with ever, except for really highly paid professionals, yes. <laughs> helping them in the mental health field. So run very fast in the other direction. Fresh and you are new and this person will kill you. <laughs> Absolutely. And <laughs> I'm glad we are saying this. So hopefully someone will take that lesson. And I had this also in the beginning. I had this one lady I remember. And I remember the first time it happened to me, I was so flattered because I was so clueless because I hadn't read his book yet. And I right. felt so flattered. She'd come to one of my talks and she was like, Essie, I've tried everybody and none of them know what they're doing, but you I can't believe I found you. I'm so, and I was like, oh, and I was probably like two years into my business. I'm like, oh, you're right. I am so special. And she was a second. Right. <laughs> completely, yeah. Yeah. completely crazy. <laughs> yes. Yes. And you know, the other idea is it, you, you are allowed to verbalize to your clients what you need from them too. So I need a client to trust me. And if they are going to constantly second guess or question, I can't do my job. And it took me a long time to figure out that's okay, that clients have requests from you and you can request something back from a client. For sure. If you're working in a long-term relationship and with design, it's very personal. You're in their homes, in their spaces, but that, that, that's really a necessity when starting a healthy relationship. For sure. And that's, again, client relationships are, are relationships, right? So in any relationship, yeah. you want that give and take, or we call it abuse when there's only take 
and no yes. give, like, yes. or only give, but no take. You know, when it's, when it's a one-sided relationship, that doesn't work. And, and I couldn't agree more. Guys, all of you, these, these tips are gold. I hope you're like eating them all up. Um, <laughs> eating gold. Okay. Still yummy. They have like gold foil now that they sprinkle on, on cake. Yes, um, they do. But it, it's so important that the client trusts you and that you do feel comfortable with stating your needs in the relationship. And again, I, I once had a client who like half our meetings were like him telling me what he needed. I'm like, if you want to pay me, to tell me again what you need from me, like, cool. Um, but, you know, I, but if that's happening, there's an uncertainty. That, that, yes. that, you know, when we say, yes, I'm sure that that's over there. If you were really sure, you would just say, yes, that's over there. You know, Correct. So it shows you an uncertainty and, and trust is critical. Trust is critical. So if you feel like you have to prove to the client, 90% of your business is going to come easy. That's the truth. Yes. But we spend so much time on that 10% that it feels like 90% comes hard because it's 90% of effort on 10%. It's, it's not even the 80-20 rule. It's the 90-10 rule. It's really worse. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. So true. So if you're pushing, yeah. don't do it. But I, I, I agree also with what you said about starting at the bottom. Again, like you took the internship first in the beginning. You do take everything. And I, again, there is such a fine line to travel between mm -hmm. not taking things that are bad. And I like how you said with the gut. Cause that is important. When you just, when you have that feeling, that's your subconscious intelligence. It's what runs, I think 99% of your life. Okay. You're breathing, you're eating, your blood flow, a ton of your emotional reactions. That's that gut feeling. Yes. <laughs> Trust it. It knows what it's doing. Yes. Um, that's a really good differentiator, but don't be a snob. You are fresh and you are new. And I've seen people just, you know, launch and fall flat because they're too cocky or they're faking at being too cocky and they try to charge too much and they try to be too cool when they're, they're not cool at all yet. Sorry. Like, because you look at someone who's where you want to get you like, well, they look like that already. So I'm just going to look like that, but, but you aren't that and you can't pull it off. Correct. Correct. And, you know, going back to that feeling of, of what's in your gut, uh, there's a great book. I don't know if you heard of it called playing big by Tara Moore. Yeah. Oh, Never heard fantastic. of it. And she writes in there about, uh, she uses two Hebrew words, actually. One is called pachad and one is yira. And they're both Hebrew terms for fear, but they're very different. And, you know, the pachad is the overreactive fear, the worst case scenario fear that a lot of us deal with day to day. And that we have to really, you know, fight against that. But there's another kind called Yira, which is when you inhabit a larger space than you're used to, when you come across something that is awesome, when you push yourself in an exhilarating, exciting new adventure, that's a good kind of fear. So learning the difference of, you know, that you're either going to get a gut feeling of, oh my God, this is so not for me, but you'll feel when it's really not for you. Or when you feel a little bit of excitement with that fear, but there's excitement, there's a passion, then you know to kind of lean into that. So I thought I that like was really that helpful. A lot. That's mm -hmm. really cool. Yes. Yeah, so when you tell them lean in, it's it's well, what do you lean into? So it's really learning what you want to lean into. That really helped me. That is cool. And and I really believe also that listening to your gut is conditioning. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's like that alarm clock. You know, if your alarm clock goes off and let's say it's got a glitch and you can't turn mm -hmm. it off, which happens sometimes, the battery's dying, whatever. So, you know, you take it, you wrap it in a towel. And then you wrap it in another towel and a blanket and you stick it under a pile and you stick it in the closet. And I think some people treat their gut feelings the same way. You know, it goes yeah. off and you're like, Shh, wrap it in a towel. <laughs> it goes off again. You're like, wrap it in another towel. You're like, just get in the closet. Just hush. <laughs> um, 
don't do that because what you got to do now is start to unwrap it so you can hear it um, because it is an alarm bell. And I love that differentiation um, between pachar and yira because yeah. there, there's there's fear and which is worry, and then there's fear which is excitement. And understanding the difference will help guide you exactly in the, in the direction. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to part one of this episode. Stay tuned for part two going live Thursday. And of course, subscribe. You do not want to miss this. You've been listening to the Business Breakthrough Podcast with SD Rand. If you're looking for a breakthrough in your business, reach out at sdrand.com slash breakthrough to be a guest on the show. Everyone's got a business struggle. What's yours?